0: Welcome to I'm having an episode, She's Criminal, the podcast that delves into the chilling world of true crime, focusing on the captivating stories of female criminals. I will be your host, Teresa. Come have an episode with me and together we'll explore the darkest corners of human nature. Before we officially start, I feel there should be a trigger warning that this case entails suicide, self-harm, suicidal ideation I am retarded depression and filicide There is sef- sensitive subject matter that is not suitable for all pills please feel free to skip the episode if you do not feel up to handling it you got like three seconds and then I'm starting but that was the trigger morning morning maybe I should do this a different day although i've been avoiding doing this one for a while it's getting it's getting ridiculous but um i you got your trigger i'm by myself today and i am going to start so if you feel those trigger warnings were too much for you go ahead and skip to the next episode otherwise we are going to start christine margaret Adewumi, the beloved wife of Leonard Ottawumi, mother of late Lauren, Samantha, and Kate Adewumi, daughter of Barry and Judy Panett, sister of Debbie, Barry, and Tim Panett. Christine Adewumi, who was formerly known as Christine Ta- Panett, graduated from Kirkwood High School in 1993. According to the Parkway School District, she worked as a physical education teacher at Parkway North High School in Creve Courier. We're going to check because it is in um, Missouri, but I would love to know how it's sounds because I'm probably pronouncing it incredibly wrong and I always feel so bad for that but I learn a lot of stuff by how I pronounce it and not everything is pronounced (laughs) how it's spelled which is a very very big problem for me because I am just I am yeah I am unable to realize that and I'm just like oh this is how it's spelled but this is not how it sounds all right it is creve core yes creve core so, I did say that wrong. I am very sorry. Back to Creep Um, She, well, I'll repeat what I said because obviously, distracted. According to the Parkway School District, she worked as a physical education teacher at Parkway North High School in Creep from 1998 to 2006. And she also taught health classes and coached the girls' track and softball teams. Leonard... Adewumi, the husband of Christine, is a managing partner at CRI Commercial Properties. It is unclear whether Christine Adewumi was employed at the time of her death, but all things pointed to her being an at-home mother. At least, that's the sources I found, and she was just at home with her daughters. There are no criminal or civil cases involving Christine Adewumi on court records, the family's home was purchased in October 2001 for 350000 according to real estate records, and Lauren was a second grader at Oak Brook Elementary School in the Parkway School District. Samantha was a first grader, and I do believe Kate was not yet in school, or she was a preschooler. Not sure. I didn't. I couldn't really find that. Uh, The family lived in Arbor Bluff subdivision just off Big Bend Road in West County, Missouri. Pictures of Christine and her husband, Leonard Attawumi, and their three adorable little girls show a very loving family that the neighbors were familiar with. The Attawumi's family's neighbors in Baldwin, St. Louis County, described the mother as a caring, always smiling woman whose life revolved around her daughter's. They remembered the family as being incredibly generous, even selling lemonade in front of their house to raise money for cancer patients. Amit Meta, who lives down—oops, who lives two doors down—said the girls were active in Girl Scouts and had recently delivered cookies to the neighborhood. Despite her outward appearance, though, Christine Atawumi was secretly battling mental health issues that even her own family couldn't fully understand. Her husband was suspicious and he was noticing a change in his wife, but he didn't exactly know how to, what to do with it. And I can say from personal experience, if you don't want help, you won't get help. I myself struggle with severe depression and anxiety. And sometimes you don't even realize that is what's wrong with you. It took me a long time to realize that I was suffering from depression because I went to my doctor and I'm like, hey, I don't know. I've been feeling really off lately. I, I think I'm depressed. And she actually told me, if you were depressed, you would know you were depressed. You wouldn't have to ask me, which did not help a thing. And I felt really horrible about it. And then I went to the greatest OBGYN ever to have, um, his name is Thomas Renardi and he was fantastic. If you are in the Oshkosh area or the Fox cities in Wisconsin and you need an OBGYN, hopefully he's accepting patients because he is Absolutely the most amazing thing ever. But I came in and I'm like, I went to my, told him what happened with my primary care physician. And he goes, No, you don't necessarily know you're depressed. And he understood and he helped me immensely and got me on some medications to help through all of that. So I can understand where the husband doesn't know what to do because my husband didn't exactly know what to do. And Maybe her not even knowing what's going on or just not wanting help or thinking she doesn't deserve help. Let us avoid going on that road a little more, which this is why I waited so long to do this episode because it kind of strikes a chord for me because not necessarily that I could see myself doing it, but I had these thoughts. I had these thoughts that what would happen if I just drove off a bridge? Would I want to do it by myself? Would I want my kids with me? I had a lot of those thoughts. They were horrible, but I was just like, oh, they're so young. I don't want to take their life from them. And if I did this, I'd have to do it by myself, which is why I was like, I really need to talk to somebody. I don't think this is normal. So that I need to stop saying so. I am I apologize. All right. Her husband recently reported her missing and revealed that she had been diagnosed with bipolar disorder and was struggling with depression. To give you an insight about how significant bipolar disorder and depression can be, we will offer, we will refer to the Psych Central website. They have an article on there called What People with Bipolar Disorder Say About How They Think. I am not going to read the whole article, but I will read the common thought patterns. Um... Unless I can't pronounce the word because I am just not that person. I think the word is um cyclical. We're gonna we're gonna say it cyclical for a minute uh cyclical. Um cyclical. That's what I said, right? Cyclical. Alright, so it's cyclical thoughts. Christ. I Toro describes her thinking as cyclical. She explains that she'll start off high at the beginning of the cycle with positive, rational thoughts, and a productive work ethic. But then she's in a low mood and she may fall fail to meet deadlines, be filled with anxiety, or experience self- Deprecating thoughts. Uh, Thinking in cycles makes consistency in anything a major difficulty, she says. Uh, She adds that there is no set amount of time for these states of mind. Some last a while and others are short-lived. The way she thinks is highly dependent on her mood as well. Uh, Another person, King, noticed his moods fluctuate drastically throughout most of... Fluctuated? Oh, most of his teenage years as well. Some days, this is a quote, some days I was full of energy, extremely enthusiastic and carried myself with confidence on others. I felt exhausted, hopelessly overwhelmed and deeply discouraged with my life. And now for the bipolar thing, the depression part, depression influences more negative and hopelessness or hopeless thinking says doctor, yeah, Dr. Dudley. During a depressive episode, feelings of hopelessness, helplessness, and low self-worth can lead them to view things negatively. King notes his episodes of depression are usually lengthy. Quote, I feel uh, when I'm feeling this way, my thoughts seem to move at a slower rate. My ideas feel cloudy and unfocused. It's easy to feel overwhelmed and overworked. And I have a hard time taking things one step at a time. It feels like my brain is just stuck in the mud. End quotes. Uh, He also adds depression is in bipolar disorder type two can feel like it's never going to end and like you have no control of your life and makes you feel like you should just give up on your goals. Uh, Then there's the mania. A manic episode is a distinct period of abnormal elevated mood with increased energy, excessive engagement in activities, and sorry, I am putting my phone on. Do not disturb. Inactivities, grandiose, grandiose, oh crap. Yeah, grandiose. I thought I was saying it wrong. I was not. And now I lost my place. Oh. I might have said it wrong, actually. Let's try again. Grandiosity. Okay. I got it grandiosity racing thoughts and decreased need for sleep lasting for several days to week dr dudley explains those thought racing thoughts can negatively impact a person's ability to focus and complete tasks sometimes i'll have multiple thoughts at the same time and or my thoughts will go so fast in my brain i can't capture them accurately says howard Dr. Dudley Dudley says manic episodes can inspire higher energy levels, creativity, and feelings of invincibility too. This is especially true for King. When I'm feeling the manic part of my bipolar, my thoughts come at a fast rate. Information feels like it's easier to digest and I can find a level of flow in work and relationship with less effort. This is when my mind feels like it can process things with the most efficiency. He says... Then there's self-harm. Dr. Dudley notes that people with bipolar disorder are more vulnerable to feeling suicidal or experiencing thoughts of self-harm. Jennifer Hicks was diagnosed with bipolar 2 at 33 years old. During my late 20s, early 30s, I had an exercise addiction, she recalls. At the same time, I had anorexia and engaged in self-harm. Howard says his mind works differently than other minds and some of those differences are life threatening. When my mind tells me that it would be okay to harm myself or kill myself, that's very serious. Everyone gets sad, but my emotional spectrum includes depression and suicidal depression. I thought about suicide as far back as I can remember, but I didn't know it was wrong because I was born this way. It was normal to me, he recalls. And that is just an inside grasp and picture of what was going on for Christine these were some of the things that she was experiencing when she got diagnosed with her bipolar and her husband just did not know how to handle it or help her because that is what he probably wanted to do I don't know for sure but when someone you love is experiencing something so traumatic like that then obviously you want to help them did I not just put my phone on fricking do not disturb? How is that, how that works? Let's try this again, sir. I want you to be silent. Thank you. Um, sorry. Back to the article. In the past few weeks, her husband mentioned two instances when she disappeared with her children and lied about her whereabouts. He also stated she had shown signs of suicidal thoughts and had been looking up ways to harm herself online. Concerned for her well-being, her family had pressured her her to seek help, leading her to visit Mercy Hospital for evaluation. According to American Psych... Psychological Association website and their article, Bipolar Support. Psychotherapy can also help patients adhere to their medication regimens. Um, oh, sorry. Yawning. Medication adherence is a problem for many diseases and bipolar disorder is no exception. Risk factors for poor adherence range from substance abuse and forgetfulness to A belief that medications aren't really necessary. Some people enjoy the hypomanic or manic periods and don't want to ruin them by taking medications. Uh, Miloquits adds? That That was a different one. Research shows that worst adherence is more common in the early stages after diagnosis when acceptance of the disease tends to be lowest, Psychologists can help patients and family members accept both the diagnosis and the treatment. So during the intake process, it was discovered that Christine had been suicidal and had not been taking her prescribed antidepressants for two days. Now, that might not seem like a lot to people, but that is actually really significant. Even one day can be pretty significant. But going without two days, you're going to just start feeling out of control and really low because your medication is not doing what it's supposed to. Your medication is supposed to kind of even you out a little bit or at least help you. And she decided for two days that she wasn't going to touch them, which means her body was like all out of whack. So the hospital worker, Joanne Bova, determined that Christine was willing to harm herself and resisted treatment. She also discovered that Christine's father and brother had tragically taken their own lives. Dr. Sayad Khan, the on-call psychiatrist, was paged and decided to admit Christine into the hospital intensive outpatient program the following morning. This is where I got really pissed off. Like, they have realized she's not taking her medication, one. Two... That She is having these dark thoughts. She is talking about harming herself. She's talking about suicide. And right there is enough to admit her to the patient, whether she wants to or not. She's having these thoughts. She needs to go in there for her safety. But the third thing is that she has small children at home. And she didn't even really come to the hospital of her own volition. She was forced to go in by her husband and her family telling her, hey, something's wrong. We we want you to go in. And if you're depressed, keeping appointments is some of the hardest crap you could try to do. It is difficult as hell. But I'm just mad because he should have been like, okay, I understand. I... S- I see your assessment. Let's get her in here. Obviously, we need to help her. But instead, he's like, yeah, come in tomorrow morning. We'll we'll get you in the outpatient program. Why? She is a risk. Ugh, sorry. So based on Edwumi's claims, Bova made the following risk assessment. One, Christine was suicidal. Two, Christine was willing to harm herself. Three, suicidal ideations were expressed by Christine and observed by Bova. Four, Christine was resistant to treatment. Five, Christine's father and brother committed suicide. Christine further claims, oh, Leonard, sorry, claimed that Bova failed to interview him despite his presence in the Behavioral Health Outpatient Department on March 5th, 2012. Now, this is something that may seem strange to other people, but when I'm interviewed, I don't want to admit that I'm not okay. I want to be like, yeah, I'm fine. I'm good. I'm great. I don't, it feels like it's wrong to admit that I am not okay. So going in with my husband would probably be one of the better things because he'd be like, hey, in the beginning, I had to go in with my husband because he's like, no, this you're acting like this you're not okay and he would have to call me out to tell the doctor no this is this is not true because when you're depressed you'll put a mask on you will show everybody this fantastic wonderful personality outgoing everything like that but you're just dying inside and you or you want to die so if She already saw all these things. She should have talked to the husband. 100% should have talked to that husband. Because he could have given her more insight into how she is. And then maybe they would have been like, all right, an outpatient program, which they shouldn't have thought an outpatient program was good anyway. Outpatient program is not going to work. We need to get you in here for your safety and the safety of everybody else around you. Because you're not doing well. And I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. But obviously, things are getting mixed up in our brain. So based on her inter- internet research history and unfamiliar behavior, it was suggested that Christine was in need of immediate medical attention and proper treatment for her mental health issues. It also indicates that there was a significant lack of communication between the hospital staff and Christine's husband. Which led to the failure of informing him about her planned outpatient care. Now that's ridiculous. Why wouldn't they be like, hey, we are planning to do this because there's no way that Christine's going to want to. She, Her husband would have held her accountable. Her husband would have been like, yeah, you, you need to go do this. I will help you do this. I will make sure you can do this. But. Instead of doing that, they're just like, all right, you're the patient, we're going to do this. Which standard procedure for the most part is to do that. They don't have to disclose any of that stuff. But in the in episodes of bipolar depression and with a spouse that is... Taking care of and small children, it should be communicated to that spouse that, hey, they are a danger to themselves. Be on high alert. But they didn't do that for him. So, um, This communication and lack of transparency potentially put Christine's well being and safety at risk as she was exhibiting signs of depression, bipolar disorder, and suicidal thoughts. It highlights the importance of effective communication and collaboration between healthcare providers and patients' family to ensure adequate support and appropriate treatment for individuals with mental health issues. All of this suggests that he that this man was a loving father and husband, doing everything in his power to help his wife. But what if he wasn't? Not saying he wasn't, because it all looks like he is. But what if he wasn't? What if you went in there and you say, "I feel like I'm going to kill myself. I hate myself," and you're telling them all this stuff, and they're like, "Okay, well, we need to talk to the spouse and stuff," and you see that he's like well whatever she's fine and stuff and you see that they don't have the proper support. But instead of interviewing that person to see they don't have this trap or the support or this negative stuff is coming from them, you just send them home and then because of the negativity from that spouse or whoever lives with them, they kill themselves. Just the communication needs to be there not only for the patient, but for them to make a proper a proper diagnosis of treatment. Because not everybody has that support. Not everybody has family who are going to help them or understand their mental illness. If they have one. No one really understands it. And it's even said that a lot of doctors barely understand this stuff. So. There's that. Which. I mean, it is what it is because there's no changing it now, but it's something I think should change. I can't say I would want my husband there, but I would need my husband there. He would be able to give them some insight that maybe I wouldn't feel comfortable giving. And I'm an adult. I'm I'm 100% an adult. But that doesn't mean that I want to express that I'm not okay. All right. Atawumi's claim, claim suggests that if Bova had interviewed him, he would have provided information about Christine's therapist, referring her for inpatient care. Another thing that pisses me off. Her th- therapist said, you need to get checked into the hospital. And that would have been the best case scenario. But Christine did not tell them this, probably because she was thinking, well, I need to take care of my kids and I'm already being a burden on everybody else. I'm already doing so much and I I just I'm an adult. I can take care of myself. I can do this. I can do this. Even though she can't, she could not do this, but she was not allowing herself to show that weakness when it was obviously there. Uh, He also states that Christine had taken their daughters on trips in the family car and brought them home late at night on two occasions. Adewumi alleges that Christine was suicidal and had expressed a willingness to harm herself. He further asserts that Christine had been searching online for methods to end her own life. Lastly, Etawumi claims that Christine did not want him present during the interview as she intended to lie about her condition to Bova. She even told him, she said, I don't want to go in the hospital. I don't need to do this. And she was telling him, he's like, you need to. So this was like an argument between them where he wanted what was best for her, but she just didn't feel that it was appropriate because in her brain, she was admitting this weakness. She was admitting that she needed help and she didn't want to. It is very hard to do, especially when you have your kids and you want to take care of them and they they rely on you as an at-home mom. You don't want to leave them and you don't want to have to be like, oh, I need my family and friends to help me. It's it's really hard to ask for help. And she was obviously having an extremely hard time asking for help. And her husband was telling her, please ask for help. So Leonard contacted the county police on Friday night to report that his wife and children were missing. He stated that they were sleeping at the residence on Arbel Bluff Circle when he left for work early Friday morning. However, upon his return at 6 p.m., they were no longer at home. As reported in the missing persons report, Leonard knew that something was wrong on the night of March 16th when he came home from work to his children and wife missing. He knew. He knew there was something wrong, which is why he called 911 right away. It wasn't soon enough, though, because their bodies were found near the family SUV, which was parked at the dead end of a gravel road leading to the river. Um, We are confident this is a triple murder suicide with the mother doing the shooting, Martin said. The bodies of Christine, Adam, Rumi, and her three daughters, Lauren, Samantha, and Kate, were discovered near Blue Springs Ranch, a campground in a remote location. The family was not staying at the campground, but a guest found them along a the gravel road. And. Leonard reported them were missing that Friday night and their bodies were found the following day. So the authorities are still investigating the motive behind the killings and are speaking with family members for more information. A handgun was found nearby and the investigators were not provide, have not provided further details about the weapon. The staff at the campground is deeply saddened by the prior tragedy and sent their condolences to the Attawumi family. Alan Berman, director of American Association of Suicidology, said studies show most perpetrators of murder suicides are men. Cases where mothers take their children lives, children's lives in addition to their own uh, are rare. Berman said there's, they're much fewer and more complex. He said some mothers have delusions that they may actually be protecting their children by killing them. The woman tends to believe that no one else can care for the children as well as she can. Her children need to be under her wing, even in her death. It is a horrendous loss of life for the children. And that's not in her brain. She's thinking they need to be with me. Which that just shows how her brain was working for her. And she's an at-home mom. All she does, that's her life. She's taking care of these babies. These are her babies. She needs to take care of them. And if she takes her life, she's like, I'm going to leave them alone. I can't leave them alone. So as much as people are like, she was a horrible mother for killing her own kids. And you think about what those kids were feeling. She, in her brain, was being a good mother because she was protecting them from her death. She was keeping them safe knowing what her death might do to them. So she took them with her where she could still protect them. And I saw a lot of things saying if she was such a good mother, she wouldn't kill her kids and blah, 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 blah. That's not true. She could have been a fantastic mother, but her brain was not working how it should have been. So to her, she was doing the best thing for her children, by bringing them with her so they didn't have to deal with the death. Uh, Meta described the Atawumis as very gentle, very peaceful people. Uh, He could never imagine this happening, and the girls were such happy little girls. Suterlin, who lives across the street from the Atawumis, said that Christine Atawumi often played games outside with the girls and helped them ride their bikes also said that Christine seemed real happy and that she doesn't get it. She added that she wishes she did and that she can't sleep at night because she's just blown away by this tragedy. The community continues to mourn this profound loss, their hearts heavy with grief as they remember the Adawumi family's warmth, love, and the joy they brought to all. And I understand that. She put on this mask for everybody in the public, showing them how happy she is and how she didn't need help and just doing too much. She went above and beyond to show everybody she was fine when slowly she was getting closer and closer to her breaking point. And that is how bipolar and depression are. You go through those cycles. You just have issues with some of the simplest tasks like just getting out of bed or even just eating something. Simple tasks like that. Like most people do not need to think about taking a shower. They just do. For me, I have to mentally prepare myself to take a shower. Although I know I will feel wonderful and I will feel clean and it will be amazing. But my brain doesn't really let me do that. It's just like, but it's going to take effort and something could happen. And it's, it's horrible. I absolutely hate it. It's one of the worst things in the world. Like I don't even like leaving the house at all. I have depression and anxiety, like major anxiety My husband knows if there is somewhere where we go and it's really busy, I am probably going to have a death grip on him. And if our kids are there, I'm going to have a death grip on my kids. And by the time we get home, I am going to be ready to pass out because I have been exhausted by how overwhelmed and anxious I felt. So she was probably exhausted and just didn't want to keep this act up anymore. I wish she would have gotten help. I really do. I wish she would have gotten help. But brains don't see. Her brain didn't see that clearly. Um, the following statement was received from the family of Christine Adawumi. It is with a heavy heart and extreme sadness that we release this statement about Christine, Lauren, Samantha, and Kate Atuwami. This is a very challenging time for the family and friends, and we appreciate all the support, prayers, and love. Christine Awoumi was a loving and devoted mother. She spent the last year nine years making her children the number one priority in her life. going to the park, taking them on vacations, playing in the yard, and making sure they had a good childhood. Christine was battling depression, family friends and professionals were supporting her recovery and stood by her side as she coped with the dilip the lip, oh no. Debilitating disease. Depression is difficult to understand, and a serious illness that is a hard, that is hard to comprehend. No one knew the depths of a problem or could ever foresee the tragedy occurring. We cannot unsta- understand why this has happened, and are dealing with this tragic loss one minute at a time. We firmly believe the Christine we knew and loved would never intentionally hurt her children. As the days go on, we pray for Leonard Atuwami as he deals with this horrible loss. He is a proud and loving father of his three smart, beautiful, talented little girls. As an involved and caring dad, he will miss cooking with Lauren, playing soccer with Sammy, and singing to Kate. Leonard is a devout Catholic and family man that worked very hard to give his wife and children a wonderful life. Please respect his privacy as he has just lost his entire family. So that was their thing. Now, um, Leonard Adewoony alleges that Mercy Hospital failed to fulfill their responsibilities in providing adequate care for Christine, leading to her suicide and the subsequent deaths of Lauren, Samantha, and Kate. He is seeking compensation for wrongful death and being, rep- is being represented by Stephen F. Mayorcord of Mayercord and Mayercord in St. Louis. I would love to see how that case went because I don't disagree with him. All the signs were there. Her therapist even said that the signs were there, but they sent her home. Um, Uh, From what I found in my research, hospitalization is considered an emergency option in bipolar care. It becomes necessary in extreme cases where the disorder is causing someone to be an immediate threat to themselves or other. It may also be used when medications need monitoring or adjustment. So why didn't they admit her? She was suffering from severe ment- a severe mental disorder. And as a mother, you always think about your children thinking either they would be better off without or that there would be no one to care for them as well as themselves. Um, despite the proven value of psychosocial therapy for people with bipolar disorder, the experts who contributed to the contributed to this story all agree that too few psychologists understand the disorder and the ways psychologists can get involved in its treatment there's a certain reluctance of people to move into the treatment of bipolar disorder for a number of reasons said Otto one reason for that hasn't had oh my god English no love me or my brain something the one reason for the hesitancy is that suicide rates are high among people with bipolar disorder. Um, He also says it can be daunting for some clinicians to take that into private practice. I get it. Understand completely. And it goes to prove a valuable lesson for this, the Dr. Syed that he should have admitted her. I I can't get over that. I'm trying to get over it. But why didn't he know that suicide was so high among bipolar the bipolar disorder and she was diagnosed with it? He should have put her in there. But again, I know a lot of it is choice sometimes that choice should have been taken away from her because she was very severe and it was very noticeable how severe she was all right i don't even know how long i've been talking for 40 minutes i am so sorry this is going to be a long episode but i feel very strongly about this and i'm sorry <laughs> Um, another concern is that psychologists do who do this work typically need to have a good working relationship with physicians and psychiatrists who can admit patients to hospitals, as it is as is often necessary when they're experiencing manic episodes. It can also take time and practice to understand some of the subtleties of the disorder. Fetterman adds, when bipolar symptoms are strong enough, they stand out with clarity if someone becomes manic it's unmistakable uh the but it is milder presents the milder presentation symptoms can be difficult to distinguish from other aspects of the personality or other comorbid conditions bipolar illness exists against the background of who the person is and all their uniqueness after years of experience a clinician becomes familiar enough with the disorder to be able to distinguish between mild bipolar symptoms and subtleties of personality traits. But for someone without much exposure to the disorder, teasing out these distinctions can be quite challenging. For psychologists with an interest in treating people with bipolar, there are a number of recent books, treatment manuals, and other resources available, says Otto. Uh, APA has also published a proficien- proficiency in psychology document on the assessment of treatment of, and treatment of serious mental illness. Psychologists working in this area also advise developing working relationship with local psychiatrists for referring patients and discussing issues that arise psychosocial treatment is one piece of a larger treatment approach and it's helpful to become part of the treatment team to have a collaborative relationship and an open dialogue with psychiatrists. Goldstein says, um, Otto also recommends psycholo- psych- psychologists collaborate with patients to develop an emergency treatment plan early in the course of therapy. Such a plan would detail who and when the psychologist should call if he or she sees signs of an impending episode. Um, It's always hard for for a therapist to be in a position to escalate the level of care. Having the patient co-plan what should be done makes life much easier for the therapist and greatly helps the patient feel they keep some agency when they're losing control, Otto says. While one-on-one therapy and family therapy are both important, support groups for people with bipolar disorder can also be very valuable, Um, particularly those with psychoeducational focus. Ferdiman offers two groups in his practice, one for university students, and one for adult professionals. When you live with bipolar disorder, you feel the stigma. You often don't feel well understood. <coughs> Sorry. It's starting to feel really itchy in my throat because my allergies hate me. Um, when you sit in a group with five or six others who have the same struggles, it makes an enormous difference. There's also a need for more research psychologists to take a closer look at bipolar disorder. Goldstein says that research on treating children with bipolar disorder is sorely lacking. Otto adds that much more needs to be done on treating common comorbid conditions such as anxiety. Yes, please help me. That often coincide with bipolar disorder. More work on suicide prevention in this population is also needed, he says. While it might take some practice and effort to familiarize oneself with the disease, the need is great. People with bipolar are often misdiagnosed. Goldstein notes, research suggests that on average, it takes about 10 years before they receive the correct diagnosis. That can be really damaging because the earlier we can intervene, the more we can maximize outcomes over time. Uh, by educating ourselves to recognize and effectively treat bipolar disorder, the hope is that we can improve outcomes and maximize functioning for these people. Uh, I will provide uh, my Instagram, Twitter, website, Facebook, email, and I will make sure on all of them to have links and numbers for anyone who might be feeling depressed or complimented contemplating hurting themselves. If you are considering self-harm or suicide, you are not alone. Uh, You can access free support right away with these resources. The National Suicide Prevention Hotline is 800-273-8255. It's 24 hours a day, seven days a week. The Crisis Text Hotline, uh, you call you text HOME, H-O-M-E, to the crisis text line at seven four one seven four one. The Trevor Pot Project, it's an LGBTQIA plus and under 25 years old. You call 866-488-7386 or you text START. S-T-A-R-T to 678-678 or you can chat online 24-7. The Veterans Crisis Line is 800-273-8255. You can text 838-255 or chat online 24-7. The Deaf, Deaf, D-E-F, Crisis Line is three, two, one, eight, zero, zero, deaf. That is eight, two, one, eight, zero, zero, three, three, two, three, or you text hand H A N D at eight, three, nine, eight, six, three. Uh, Befrienders worldwide, this international crisis helpline network can help you find a local helpline. So, I will make sure to put this on as many areas as I can. Um, I am sorry for being such a pooper. And this isn't... Like, she did kill someone. It's a murder-suicide, so technically... If she would have not have killed herself, something would happen. So that's why it got put on the episode. Agree or disagree, that is perfectly fine. I have my own feelings about it. But thank you for cho- tuning in to I'm Having an Episode, She's Criminal, the true crime podcast that delves into the sinister secrets and spine-chilling tales of women who have committed crimes i am recording on riverside.fm and uploading to spotify which enables me to post a poll and question for each episode kindly note that the polls are only available for a limited time so i apologize if you miss the opportunity to answer them but the questions will always be accessible i am unsure what i will do for a poll and question for this episode but I will definitely do them. You can listen to I'm Having an Episode She's Criminal on various platforms, including iHeartRadio, Spotify, Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, CastBox, and Google Podcasts. So most of the places where you might prefer to listen. If you have any questions or want to share your thoughts on an episode, feel free to email me at I'mHavingAnEpisode2023. That is I am... H-A-V-I-N-G-A-N-E-P-I-S-O-D-E-2-0-2-3 at gmail.com. Remember to use all lowercase letters and no spaces. You can also connect with me on Twitter at I-M-H-A-V-I-N-A-N-E-P-I-2-3 and on in the Instagram at I'm having an episode. I would love to hear from everybody. And I finally launched my website for the podcast. It's a little primitive, not the best, but you can find it at she's criminal true crime podcast.com. That is S H E C R I M I N A L T R U E. C R I M E P O D C A S T dot com. Uh, you'll find additional resources and information relating to each episode, and you can also comment and que- ask questions there. If you're on Facebook, book, you can search for I'm having an episode. I can't remember what those things are called, but it's the dots that are one above the other. She's criminal. You can join our community. Uh, All these links are on the website, and I will make sure to have the link to the website below in the episode description. Until next week, remember to lock your doors, keep your loved ones close, because you never know who may be lurking in the shadows. Stay curious, stay vigilant, and never underestimate the power of a woman with a dark secret. This is I'm Having an Episode She's Criminal. I'm Teresa, and I can't wait to have another episode with you.